aspect of yesterday evening's questions, which I didn't respond to very fully, was um, this sense: how do the how the aggregates um, seen as being for one's long-lasting welfare and benefit? And so that that was that um, saying of the Venerable Sariputta. Since in many cases these aggregates are seen as murderers, a nuisance, a calamity, a disaster. <laughs> it's a trap, something to get out of. Uh, how, how is it they can be for one's welfare? And so this is the distinction from the clinging aggregates, clung to, fixed upon as forming entities and, uh, and as that which one mediates through in order to uh, transmute entities. Mm. When I say entities, I mean something more than people. Mm. So I think one of the um, not quite correct understandings, in my opinion, of the candors is, is this is uh, the candors are oneself. Mm. Uh, actually, my understanding is they're, they're the cosmos which can be personally experienced. So you say it's, it's thoughts, moods, impressions, form, external form, internal form, uh, perceptions as they arise in the minds of others, uh, speech that you hear. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a complete thing. It's not like I am this mass of aggregates. There is this mass of aggregates which create the impression of somebody here and somebody else there. Create duality, self and the world. They create me and my mind. They create me watching my my anger. They create the sense of distinction in which the aspect that one is so often dealing with is this isolated person who is confronted by forces that she or he feels uh, confronted, uh, you know, challenged by in, in the, within what they call themselves, their moods, their obsessions, their worries, and qualities they call other people, other people's moods, obsessions, and problems, or, or indeed um, things of the non-human nature, creatures and even um, disembodied spirits, and so on. So, um, in meeting that at edge, where bodies of differentiation, self and other, me and my mind, my good side and my bad side, my aspirations and my frustrations, you know, my stupid behaviour and my, you know, attempts to do better. This differentiation, there's an edge there. And it's really at that edge where the quality of, of uh, the softening and the goodwill and the acceptance and a non-separation has to be in, encouraged. Non-separation doesn't mean we're all one. It means that we're letting it all be met as an undivided, um, even problematic uh, cosmos of different energies, differing dispositions, different qualities, datus, elements, indriyas, yeah. And that's just opening the map up, internal, external, myself, yourself, all this as it is. Um, and this is, of course, a big, 
a big um, sheet to spread out. So naturally, you know, to get a handle on it, you're trying to work with the stuff that's really right, right up there, 24/7, happening in your body. But surely you can. Always, we also pick up the behaviours other people affect us in a bodily way. We feel sensitised. We feel warm. We feel welcome. We feel a flush of of happiness. We feel a f- tremble of anxiety. Um, and of course, what we our own goodwill and intentions as we speak and express them and live them out can be felt by other people. So really, this boundary is, is you know, it's not, what is it boundaried by? Is it boundaried by, you know, I am better? We're all, is it bounded by I am worse? Is it boundaried by anxiety? And then this boundary realize this this is the problem. This is the bit we can really know. The rest of it is guesswork actually this is the piece that we can really know is well whatever else this is the root of suffering and helping other people help myself that make something one aspire to but what one directly knows is this particular edge is causing problems it hurts it conflicts it constricts so if i if that edge is dissolved how does the world of self and others manifest the apparent world of self and others, since that's what our senses say is happening, and you know that's the way we have to live our lives, as self and others, on this level. Yeah. So could that that dualistic, confusing, mysterious cosmos, which we never quite know, actually what the other is about? Completely, you cannot. But I can know how to deal with my anxiety, and my assumption about them. I can know that. I can pause and check. Is this causing me to be more sensitive or is it just causing me to be paranoid? Is it causing me to be loving or is it causing me to be overbearing? You know, like sending everybody else straight. <laughs> yeah. Do I, can I check that, that relational quality? And this is something then it is for one's own welfare and others, uh, naturally, and we're working on the aggregate of perception and volition. Perception is interpretation, right? How we interpret. And it's not necessarily a rational interpretation. In fact, it's almost completely irrational. This is a flash hit that we've got used to or programmed into. So perception, sanya and sankara, volition, either reflexive volition, which is just impulsive you know, taken for granted, uh, uncontrollable reflex, passion of some kind, negative or, or, you know, either greed or aversion or fear or something of this nature, domination, uh, uh, without even really knowing it because it's never been checked. Or deliberate intention. Yeah, I really want to do this, but actually I haven't got, I haven't read things properly. So the intention is good, I'm just on the wrong page, you know. Yeah, like the intention is to help her, but she hasn't actually asked me. <laughs> so, how should I? Why should I feel I've got the right to move in? Yeah, you know, without her or him saying, you know, because that may be a good intention, but it's not necessarily an accurate perception of what's appropriate. So, when we focus on this relational aspect, we're dealing with two the two 
most potent and also the most crucial and the most pertinently adjustable aggregates. Form, yeah, you know, as you come into your own body, you can, you can change form. You can change from your idea of your body into the direct experience of it. You can change your body from this kind of conglomerated lump of bits and pieces that don't fit together. (laughs) If you don't mind me saying so. (laughs) Into something more smooth and fluid. So you can change form to that extent. It's still got a form to it, which has its uh, drawbacks. Uh, But that is certainly going to make one feel a lot more comfortable, and I would say also really necessary to work on that in order that the chitta can settle comfortably, in order to tackle some of these more volatile uh, aggregates, uh, sanya, sankara. Because I'm feeling more comfortable and at ease. I'm less compulsive in my assessments and reactions. Just that edge of feeling more contented and comfortable here. It's less needy, less desperate, less, uh, and also more centered, less oversensitive at the edges, more resilient. Things don't get in, don't bother me so much because I have a place of comfort that my mind is centered in. So managing the aggregates in this to this degree, even the rupa kanda, yeah, and and not being stuck in this uh, in the that which has been inherited or that which has been formed, but breaking one's attachment to old form, visual form, old body experience, yeah, coming out of the fixation of that's what I am, that's what a body is coming out of that, we allow a new body to form that's more properly formed through skill and, and dhamma and deep practice. Mm. And then this is going to be for one's welfare. If it, if it calms and steadies one's own mind, it's naturally going to affect others. So this will be for our long-lasting welfare and for the welfare of others, mm. those who can receive it course some people may not notice or be care but others will be feel happy and more comfortable when you are more happy and comfortable in yourself and that's something to really bear in mind your own happiness and comfort is not just the selfish indulgence <laughs> that you shouldn't you know you should give up in order to help other people this kind of happiness and comfort is does help other people. The less edgy, uh, uh, less needy, the less fearful you are, it's going to be a lot easier to to be with, for sure. And uh, yeah, and so that and then the people who can relate to that, they're the people you want to be with. The people who expect you to be hyper efficient, da 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 da. That's not going to be for your welfare. So you start to, this is how your Kalyanamita, real valued friends, arise and you're a benefit. So this is for one's welfare, happiness and for the welfare of others. Naturally, you know, this does make possible a realistic 
um, emanation of the um, measureless states, metta, karuna, mudita, upeka. So this again is an example of how the sankara aggregate, the, the volitional aggregate, properly broken, broken the fixations, the negative obsessiveness, uh, the self-consciousness, the uh, and so forth, the self, is, is modified into a sankara, a, a, a volitional tendency towards emanating goodwill, compassion, patience, tolerance, receptivity, gladness, appreciation, and congratulation to others. Mm. Saying, it's good, it's good, it's good. Well, very well, very well. They're offering blessing. That's a sankara. But, you know, and you can recognize that in the Buddha's own life, he may have got beyond the aggregates, but he certainly used them <laughs> to full, full extent. He used, he used every ounce of his aggregates during his lifespan to bring forth what he could in, in many ways. This transformation is what the Buddha Dharma is aimed at, not just a, a bit of you know calming or clarity or even intellectual understanding, which of course are interesting and inspiring, but a real transformation here uh, here and now within this very intimate subjective experience called the person. And bearing in mind that the transformation of the person is for, has great benefit in, in many respects into the whole cosmos, as we can see from the example of the Buddha, you know, working on himself, able to present something for many, many people for millennia to benefit from. And so, the first, for reflection, the first um, uh, transformation is called the stream entra. term you're probably familiar with, and um, various People have different ways of expressing what that takes, whether you've, you know, meditative prowess of some kind or another. Uh, but uh, in the Nikayas, it's presented as the witnessing, understanding, and eradication of three knots or fetters, three forms of grasping three aspects in which grasping occurs. And this is um, Sakaya Ditti, personality view, as it's described. Somehow one is, one is uh, uh, associated or just limited to this physical body and all that goes on within that. Uh, Michikicha, skepsis, doubt, loss of faith, or having no faith, or having faith in the wrong things, lack of confidence, uncertainty, wavering. Uh, and uh, Sila Bhattaparamasa, 
which translated as attachment to rites and rituals, which is rather unfortunate because this isn't just about, you know, how many times you bow to a shrine or whether you do chanting in Pali or English. It's, it's much more universal. This is these are universal human traits. So I translate this attachment to systems and customs or attachment to structures and conventions because that's much more universal. And um, so, and the uh, realization is that all, all these three go in one shot. It's not like one, then two, then three. They all go in one, in one moment or one realization. The first anya, the first uh, uh, where citta becomes anya, where citta stops volition, which is the essential piece of the transformation of citta is that the volitional tendency stops, as, it, as you probably experience some, some time or another in your Dhamma practice, that moment you just go, oh, it's, there's a stopping moment, and something goes, uh-huh, and then, what's that? And then, you know, you move on. <laughs> uh, so so this, is, this is quite a distinct stop and a reset, yeah, it's not just a pause, it is a stop and a reset. Yeah. Uh, and um, so, well, these, these are three, so to, to go further on those three, uh, we take the aggregates as a, as a solid single entity rather than separate things. And we, we generate a person, a personality to govern them. So, and this personality to govern these reflexive, uh, irrational, uh, behavioral um, aspects of our experience, the behavioral aspects, how I'm going to present myself externally, the irrational aspects, my urges and drives, uh, my sensitivities and and so on, the imaginative you know, aspects. Uh, we create a person, or a person gets created to manage that. Mm. And this isn't just something we do personally; it's done collectively by the group. It will tend to give you the shame, or the punishment, or the reward in a, for having the correct personality, the one that causes least problems or the one that fits in best to the, for the aims of the group, whether it's a group of two, three, hundred, two hundred million, and so on. This is a very powerful moulding force, the force of conformity. And the force of conformity works most effectively when it gets us all to establish an inner tyrant to do our own suppression then you need don't need so many police <laughs> to do it for you you know you st- everybody comes their own policeman mm. so this this is a, a quite a, a feature of the collective human experience and so the personality gets established as the mediator in what they actually experience and, and feeling and their chitra is doing and what they're allowed to be conscious, allowed to 
do and say, and eventually even what they're allowed to be conscious of. So there's a huge amount of, of denial and self-suppression uh, can occur. So this is personality view. It's not just an innocuous piece or an instant piece of esoteric Buddhist jargon. It's a very real and powerful experience that is considered to be crippling. The word fetta is likened to ball and chain. Doubt is the sense of no, uh, conf- low, no confidence. One is never able to feel assured without yeah so we're never assured of our own mind of our own jitta of our own heart and we lose confidence in uh, our own voice in fact we lose our own voice we end up mouthing the lines the beliefs that get put we get indoctrinated into as you know, the 1984, if you ever read that, that novel, people end up saying the things that Big Brother keeps pumping into them. They end up loving him because, you know, the total saturation and, and denial and even brutal suppression of anything that uh, wasn't, won't fit that. It's a rather striking and perhaps crude, crudely configured allegory, 1984. The reality is much more subtle than that, more more subtle and pervasive, softer inductions. That to mean your own intuition, your own senses, your own intelligence, you always feel you're just being silly or stupid or too slow or, you know, weird. And the real thing is this nice, straight, clean, squeaky clean, straightforward, cheerful, bright, you know, loyal da 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 thing. Totally balanced and so forth. (laughs) You get presented as as the desirable model. And so one loses confidence in, in in that voice which is often not so clear and perhaps not even verbal. So it begins to close down altogether. Sila Vata Paramas, attachment to systems and customs, systems and conventions, structures. Of course, once you come into collectives, then you have the, we establish systems to, to all operate around to make the collective operate as a unity. And this is problematic because, yeah, that's that's the way we work best if we're able to cooperate. You know, no way we can survive without cooperation. As I've mentioned before, we are relational. Um, we're not independent. But there's in conformity and harmony. Yeah. So, and the larger the collective is, the less account it can take for all the individual variables. Isn't that correct? Yeah. You just cannot take into account all the individual fluctuations of variables that happen in the mutable moment. So this is the way we do it. And okay. And to a certain extent we yeah that yeah understood. Yeah, fair enough. Mm. Uh, uh, mm. 
and it could be, and that's again, I think one in a fairly reasonable manner. You think, yeah, it doesn't have to be the way I like it. It's okay. It doesn't have to be quite the way I see it. I can, yeah, I can go along with that if it's for everybody else's welfare. But as you probably would recognise, sometimes as if we all asked each other, whether it's for our welfare. (laughs) You know, if you've got 200 million people, and so uh, you know, not to make too too uh, political a point out of it. But by and large, we are governed by minorities, power minorities, not by what's for everyone's welfare, but what's for the well, gross welfare of a few. <laughs> and everybody else just you know, gets fed the lines and doesn't have much say, really. Yeah. And that's pretty much uh, global story on the political level. And to a certain extent, one accepts well you know, the benefits of being in a collective organization, communication, transport, trade, service and so forth. Okay. Yeah. And there's a certain point where you think, no, no, this is just this is not okay. But to come back to perhaps to, you know, what we can deal with in the hall <laughs> in our lives here. When one begins to so get convinced by systems and structures so convinced by them we're like we've become like people who've so learnt to live in in you know in, in with apparatus and crutches that when we we don't know how to move without them yeah. and we feel wobbly and uncertain tell me what to do what's the right thing am i getting it right or wrong well it's I don't know it's how it works really but is it right or wrong well it depends, you know, uh, and this can be really orienting when one has the power these fetters has gripped. You know. One's personality has been formed by systems and structures. Because of that, one does not have confidence in one's own jitta. And fair enough, one's own jitta is not blameless and spotless and totally clean. It has blemishes and confusions, but just stuffing it in this trap isn't going to make it any better. <laughs> you know, just suppression, suppressing it isn't going to purify it. <laughs> so it's got to be some way where the, the you know you, the system structure is 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 kindly enough, negotiable enough, you know, receptive enough to be able to hear you and moderate and adjust so and be something you can trust and learn from say okay you know right you got me there i was out of order fair enough yeah yeah that's true that was that was that was a defilement so how else are we going to know you know how else you going to know unless you're able to get it wrong without going into some huge guilt trip just ah navigation error how do you learn to drive except through, you know, how do you learn to walk without falling over? You learn. And if you would say, fair enough, that's not the way you do it, um, then you learn. And if you're recognizing if you're an atmosphere of kindness and goodwill, 
you're able to learn because people are able to accept the occasional knock or bruise and okay, that's what it is, we're in this together. Yeah. One expects to get knocked and bruised and occasionally to knock and bruise others and you know, if you didn't want this, don't get born. Um, so could it end there? Could it just say, okay, this is called being human. This is the way we find out. And the most constant realization to, to uh, what is the atmosphere that could cope with that? How do we struggle out of chaos and confusion into clarity through a constant living atmosphere of tolerance, goodwill, compassion, uh, deep appreciation, for those times when it does click and work, you think sadhu, wonderful. So there's a real chitta can really rise into that. And equanimity, well, you know, considering, you know, the amount of difficulties here, this is probably, yeah, all it could be right now. Equanimity. This is very pragmatic, and as you you look at that, consider that model both in terms of in relationships to other people, also relationship to yourself, to your own, what I call yourself, conventionally speaking, your own mind states, bodily states, irrational urges, confusions, um, you name it, the, the stuff. So we get the, we say, the reflexive sanya, the thing we didn't want but we can't help. The reflexive feeling of intimidation or uh, you're totally responsible for everything, you've got to do this. Those, those reflexive assumptions. Mm. And you say, just check that. Yeah, check that. What's happening? What's the blindness of it? If it's blind, What's the chances of it being correct? If it's just been drummed into you, if it's just been indoctrinated as a system, a structure, what's the chances of that being actually totally accurate? Not much. You're never gonna, you're never gonna fail by just pausing on that and noticing what's the emotion, what's the move, what's the assumption. Just to even notice, well, that's what it seems like. Let's. What volition then comes from that? A bit more tentative, a little more check it out, a little more, you know, stick my nose forward and see if it gets, you know, how, how things look. Move forward, check it out. And that requires faith. Faith, a sense of the only one who's going to know, really, eventually. The only one who's really going to know is sitting right in the center of your cosmos. The rest of it is just advice. The only one who is really going to know is sitting right in the center of your cosmos. Do you go there? Do you know where that is? Hmm? Yeah, and it's not just a rhetorical question or an, or an incriminating question because it's not always clear for any of us, where the centre is. Because the peri- what I call the peripherals become so saturating. The peripherals, I would say, one's thoughts. 
one's assumptions, one's attitudes, one's good intentions, one's histories, one's I did this yesterday, you know, one's accumulated material becomes the ones we, we go to first. And many times that's reasonable and not always a, a bad place to start, but for dumber practice you realize there's another possibility which will be much more accurate for liberating. You go, is there a center? A center, I call it that, for the, just for the presentation of this particular map. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, chitta, another word for it. Okay, so I haven't used that word today. <laughs> uh, and you know where is that what is that and because we associate so much we associate mind with our ability to organize concepts and stuff that we have learnt and acquired the stories the messages the informations the programs we've acquired we associate mind as just that we can shuffle the known around yeah and make all right this is this is the deck no, you miss the big card, <laughs> you know, because that mind can only shuffle around the known, what you already knew. Yeah. And as I say, for some purposes, that's that's adequate, but for liberation, it's not. Yeah. And so, this, to me, that one of the gross misfortunes of our culture is we've assumed that intelligence is purely a brain function, rational function, and we've neglected body intelligence and heart intelligence. And it's so, now jitta can really operate through all of these forms. It's, a, it's you say, a more primary uh, quality than that. But because the Brain intelligence is, is often so uh, indoctrinated and programmed, it's good to just step back from some of that, particularly when you hit rattling on and creating these distorting and pain-bearing <laughs> programs. You know, you step back from that and you go into the heart, heart's quite confused, frightened, worried, contracted, numb, doesn't say anything, okay, go into your body. Last, you know, the last post, the last outpost of sanity. <laughs> and even that's pretty shot some of the time. You know, so then this, there you go, right? Mindfulness of body, mindfulness of breathing. Seems such a simple, innocuous statement, doesn't it? Till you start to come into it and realize there's a lot you can do in that, in that aggregate of form, in that aggregate of form, because here's where. In this aggregate, you can begin to sense the arising of sankharas, that flush, that rush, that tremble, that contraction, before they're even verbal. And you can sense the arising of perception, that, oh, ah, oh, oh, before it even, or as it is taking, as it is taking shape. And you say, this one, just check, pause. Where is the body and where is the calm body and where is the body, the center body, 
the safe place, the refuge place, the place that's not about peripherals, the place that's a deep place. Hmm? And, um, you know, I've said this many times, and it's, it's something that one needs to hear, I need to hear, because it doesn't say anything. Uh, it doesn't use words. So we don't hear it. You have to feel it. The place where the pressure stops. The place which is just natural, easy, at home. At home. Mm. It's not a place where sensation occurs. Uh, not a place that's inv- invaded by external contact. We may go close to it in the most comfortable sensations that we can experience organically, such as breathing in and breathing out. That may get, that may get close to it. Close to it. That's where we come in on. And uh, But as one practices in body, it's the, the purification of body. Well, certainly, um, I have confidence from my own experience and from teachings and from witnessing others, purification of body, it's a process, it takes work, it takes endeavour. I can't see it can be anything other than for your welfare and benefit. And uh, you learn so much about your attitudes, your assumptions, your impatience, your domination tendencies, you're desperately trying to get it right and fear of getting it wrong, your narrow-mindedness, and you learn about patience, spaciousness, acceptance. You know, you learn about switching off programs in order to be with this in its vulnerability and affectedness and whatever it else. And as as that is accomplished, it seems to... Well, okay, it seems to me that something, it opens. Something, there's an opening within anything. Oh. Oh, this is where things stop. It's not a person. There's no system of it. And you have this confidence in that. It doesn't have a whole library of answers of how to deal with your life. But you probably already got that. And what you need, well, not for me to say, but what I need to do, I don't need to read every book in the library. I just need to have the confidence to know which book to read at which time. And which are the texts that have now gone out of date? Because <laughs> we have so much information. It's just which bit do you need now? And which bits were just completely wrong? And which bits are redundant? Mm-hmm. You're cleaning your library. Mm-hmm. And so the confidence to find that, so that whatever, you know, system I operate, whatever, you know, how I arrange my day or so on, 
it's coming from somewhere a little more in touch with that place of confidence. This is the way it has it's for me. You know, this is the way it works best. And um when there's that, you say, okay, I can do it this way if you like. It's not quite the way I do it, but I don't have to believe in it. <laughs> I'll go along with it. Uh, but I don't have to believe in it or feel intimidated by it or feel I'm wrong for not believing in it. Hmm? Recognizing that any system and custom, particularly as it spans a, a, a group of people, it's never going to be tailor-made. But you say, I can, I can, I can be with this. It's enough, there's enough room in me for this, for me to be here. That's pretty much, you know, my <laughs> take on Buddhist monasticism. <laughs> I didn't realize it was how <laughs> all of the details of the form and its uh, cultural overlays. But it's, yeah, uh, I, would, I certainly could see as many dead spots or things that aren't great about it. And, but then, you know, um, I'm not really plugging it. <laughs> as the, the ultimate solution, or the, the way everybody has to be. But I do feel confidence that I enjoy. I enjoy a sense of um, the relationships it can establish if it's, if it's carefully held, the trust of, of appreciation, of sensitivity, of non-abuse, of uh, um, sexual propriety, of um, many, many skillful things that can be cultivated in relationship as long as it's held in relationship rather as an entity in its own right I think that's the that's the caveat one should bear in mind of any particular system, how does it operate how does it affect people who are not in the system, is it abusive to them, does it cause them harm or is it something that can be for their welfare mm. So then when we so when we come down to our own uh, intimate practice in terms of following uh, not just the external forms and rules and conventions of a retreat center, it's okay, you know, if that's the way they do it here. Yeah, it, it sort of they produce something that's pretty good, a little bit, you know, not quite, but there you go. <laughs> Considering. Um, uh, and then, then you come into, well, you know, how do you uh, relate to um, whatever your meditation system is? That's another system and structure. You say you have no system. I don't think that's going to work, really. Chitta definitely needs some training, needs some guidelines, needs some boundaries, needs some, come on, lift up, you know, uh, needs some exercise. But... Uh, Recognizing perhaps when we have a sense of there can be a plurality of systems. They work like this, some work like that, some work on this aspect very well, some of this work on this aspect very well. And then we start to cobble together a kind of a, a suite that, you know, touches the bits that need to be touched and wakes up the bits that need to be woken up. And always within the spirit of, as they say, make an effort with friendliness is the 
is that always the, the standard, even ritualized advice from the teacher, make an effort in a friendly manner, in a pasadikena, in a way that's comfortable for you. Don't bust the gut trying to make it me happy. Because, <laughs> yeah. of course, that can get set up, can't it? You know, you've got to conform to what the teacher wants or says or you think he won't be bothered by. Well, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Through that particular medium, you realize there's a lot more humanity in this than, than it's not just the system. Then we, how do we apply systems and structures to our own meditation practice? Yeah. And naturally with systems and structures, this is great attraction, something so definite, so clear, you know exactly what to do all the time. There's five of these, six of those, you do this for so many years, you get, when you get to this state, the light shines, and you get into the next state, switch gear, go left, and boom, you're there, there's Nibbana, around the corner, over the hill, pitch your tent. <laughs> I'm thinking... Well, probably somebody did it that way, you know. Good for them. <laughs> you know, and that was their way over the mountain. But I got these feet, you know. And so you listen up and you listen to what the bit that works for you. And it's always said, you know, where you follow a teaching, you listen to what's being said, you listen to it deeply. What does it really mean? Yeah, and, how, and then how do I feel about that? What bits light up for me? And then... What bits do I feel? Well, I, I could try and make an effort with that. And so you assess and you realize this is going to be work and it's going to be uncomfortable. And what's the measure of when is it a discomfort that you feel okay with? When it's not held as an ultimate obligation. When it's not held beyond access to your own intelligence and sensitivity. And you say, okay, I can make an effort with this. It's not always going to be comfortable. It's going to challenge me. But at the same time, yeah, I can see there definitely is some stuck things here and an act of faith because this person seems to be, or this teaching seems to be aimed at my welfare. I'll follow along at my own pace. That's, That's the way to approach it. You know, how much acceptance has to go on to just arrive at that conclusion? Uh, acceptance of one's limitations and one's, uh, you know, obstructions. And I would say for, you know, the power of the systems that we can be in has, I would say, on the verge of traumatic. I don't really know exactly the technical definition of trauma, but you know I can certainly witness people being extremely, you know, and irrationally activated in ways they have very little say over. You know, around uh, you know material that just is so powerful they can't really moderate it. You just have to say, "Well, get out of the territory." It's not. It's not accessible yet. Build up your strength somewhere else. So these are then, you know, realize this is in. This is in the mix. Experiences of this nature in the mix. The power of this grip uh, of of bondage, which one 
has not necessarily consciously picked up but has been structured into. And could the sense of acceptance be gradually extended to include the places when I'm really pretty much out of it actually? Uh, or just mind is really just out of control and is it a safe place for for that and through so gaining trust gaining trust gaining trust and and really you know even it's not the level of something traumatic good amount of time as we probably would would recognize the mind is doing things we are not at all pleased with or or happy about and don't seem fair <laughs> you know just unjust you know rushes of of jealousy or projection or f- fantasy or sexual desire or fear or something else oh, it's just un- undignified this stuff you know <laughs> Uh, but the, the, you know, re- just in the field work, that's what happens, and you just got to let it steam off, and you come back to it. Yeah, there's that, there's that. Where's the where's the center now? Don't bother with the peripheries. Don't get drawn out into it. Can you find a center? Because this is the uh, this is the refuge place, and everything has to come from there, not from the peripherals. That is not from external structures, words, ideas, your own strategies. They can only take guidance from the center. So to find this centrality and to dwell in it. Um, you know, the simplest one must bear in mind is that, you know, if one lives within uh, at least some sense of restraint and, and appropriate behavior towards others, and you practice calming you know, and coming into your body uh, and you maintain the quality of goodwill and acceptance, non-aversion, that center is going to open as quickly as possible. And it's from there that the wise understandings will proceed. Naturally, it's always good to generate as a deliberate intention, you know, just to exercise one's intentions because one's actually often a lot more judiciously kind and generous to other people than we are to ourselves. So we pick up our hearts will probably quite easily rise into the wish for the welfare of others. May they be happy, may they be cherished, may they be free from harm and suffering. May they practice bear fruit. Don't deliberately reflect on this and deliberately bring to mind, you know, even in this field, the people one is sharing time with and the people in one's inner field, one's relatives and associates with all the difficult bits. Say, I don't, I just wish them well, that's all. I'm not expecting them to be fantastic or everything just be really swinging along with us but I just wish them freedom from harm <laughs> I can do that <laughs> uh, and to consciously do that and to consciously 
take time to say, you know, I too, I too have been flooded with behaviours and actions that were inappropriate, not worthy, not welcomed, wrong time. I ask for forgiveness. The flush is one gets of feeling right. The grandiosity that can come out of feeling one's right. Uh, the, um, you know, the lack of straightforwardness that can come out of feeling one's wrong. So one never dares say the truth. You know. And how confusing that is. The confusions one can arise through thinking you know somebody else and what they're doing and what their intentions are. I know what she's up to. Can you read minds? Just the confusions that arise from just thinking you can know what somebody else is up to and uh, have an opinion about it. You know, haven't we all done this? Uh, so, you know, that forgiveness, recognizing that the distortions and possible pain that we generated through those grasping at aggregates, perceptions, relational formations, forms, consciousness. With the understanding that if these could be, the impurities could be cleared, that identification, the self and other, could be cleared from that, what beauty could be born and shared with a mind of goodwill, a mind of the sensitive, what beauty could be born.